If you have your Bibles with you, open up to John, the Gospel of John. We're going to be, Lord willing, finishing this chapter 6, this incredible chapter of what we've called the uh, Bread of Life Sermon. And as we were ending last week, we decided we want to take a little bit longer and look at these last two verses with a little bit more detail. And so I've entitled uh, the morning's message as Jesus Chose a Devil. Jesus Chose a Devil. I kind of left you on the cliffhanger last week asking the question, why did Jesus choose Judas? If he knew Judas would betray him, if he knew Judas would, uh, you know, turn him over to the, the head of the uh, Pharisees and the priests and the scribes to be crucified, why did Jesus ever choose Judas to begin with? So I'm going to try to answer that question for you today. Jesus chose a devil, John chapter 6, the last two verses, 70 and 71. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Father, as we consider the task before us this morning, as we look at your word and think through a little bit about what it meant for Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, to choose Judas Iscariot, a son of the devil, how this could ever happen, and yet in your beauty and in your majesty of your sovereign plan, Lord, we understand that you are Lord over all. So I pray that this morning as we consider this thought about why Jesus chose Judas, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and that you would allow us to trust even more in our sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. Well, I've got a couple of easy questions for you this morning, just kind of rhetorical questions. So I'm going to ask a few questions, and you don't have to blurt out the answer, but uh, just, just answer in your head. And the questions are these. Do you know a boy or a man by the name of John? Or do you know a boy or a man by the name of Peter? Everybody knows somebody named Peter or named John. How about James? Do you know anybody in your life today with the name of James? Or how about the name Matthew? Or how about, do you know anybody named Andrew or Mark? How many of you know somebody named Paul? I think all of us would probably say, I know just about somebody, given each one of those names. But how about Judas? How many of you people know somebody named Judas? Maybe you've heard of a snake named Judas or a goat named Judas, but I dare say that anybody in this room has ever heard of a man or a boy by the name of Judas. And if you have, it would be a very rare thing. Be a very rare thing for a mom or a dad to call their boy Judas. And yet, once there was a young mother who held a little baby boy in her arms, and she kissed that baby's face, and she called him Judas. No doubt she loved that baby boy very much. And no doubt she taught that baby boy the difference between right and wrong. And no doubt that if she was a good Hebrew mother, she would have even taught that baby boy about the coming Messiah who would come and deliver his people from their sins. But now that name Judas is one of horror and shame. It is a name of disgrace. The name Judas is rightly associated with the word hypocrite, betrayer, or traitor. And yet Jesus chose Judas, a devil, and I want to ask why. I want to ask why did Jesus choose 
Judas. If you look back up at John chapter 6, verse 63, to give a little bit broader context, Jesus says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it is that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We see here Judas is one of the twelve. He's one of the twelve apostles. Selected by Jesus Christ, Jesus chose Judas, and Judas betrayed Jesus. You remember the night when Jesus was abducted in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night was dark, and Jesus is praying in the garden with Peter, James, and John, who have all now fallen asleep, and Jesus is in anguish. As Jesus is praying earnestly, Father, if you are willing Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. And he's sweating drops of blood. These would be the first drops of blood of many more to follow in his flogging and in his crucifixion. And suddenly, there is the sound of an entourage entering the garden unexpectedly. Muffled voices, clanging armor. Shuffling footsteps, lighted torches, coming closer and closer until they stop at Jesus. The chief priests are there, the scribes are there, the elders are there, and their eyes burned with hatred and with jealousy and with strife. And they wanted to silence Jesus once and for all. And from that crowd, there steps forward a man. And you can't make him out at first in the night time and with all the commotion that has now filled this private garden. And then you see his face flickering in the torchlight. He has a conniving grin on his face and evil intentions in his heart. You see, the devil had truly entered into this man and he was about to do his most sadistic work. Judas steps forward. And he leans in to plant a kiss on the altogether lovely and pure cheek of Jesus. Hail, Rabbi, Judas uttered as he kissed him. And that kiss must have burned like a coal from hell. It was the kiss of betrayal. It was the kiss of death. Now, why did all of this happen? Did Jesus... Was he taken by surprise? I mean, after all, Jesus did choose Judas. Did Jesus make a mistake? 
Was Jesus a, a poor judge of a man's character? I thought the Bible says that Jesus does all things well. How is it that this came about? And I want to answer this question by looking at three lessons that we can learn from the question, why did Jesus choose Judas? Here's the first lesson we can learn there in your outline. If you're taking notes, you could follow along. First lesson is, number one, a warning concerning religious hypocrisy and the necessity of saving faith. Part of what's going on here is we're learning that there's a warning being given about religious hypocrisy and the need of true saving faith. Jesus does know the difference between His real disciples and those disciples who are faking it. Jesus does know those who are His and those who are not. Jesus knew from the beginning those who would follow Him and those who would abandon Him. There are some, even in this room, who believe and some who don't really believe. And Jesus knows who you are. There may be many that are in the same place where Judas was. In fact, there are many things that Judas had right. Look at these subpoints here, some observations about what Judas had right. First one, Judas had the right association. He's got the right association. Judas is not seen in the Scripture as hanging out with hoodlums or harlots. He is never mentioned as being at the casino or the horse track. We are never told that Judas became intoxicated or that he was in trouble with the law. In fact, we are very clearly told that he was one of the appointed uh, disciples of Jesus. He was picked by Jesus himself. He had great company. He was in an association of godly men. As we read in Mark 3, when Jesus selected the 12 disciples, it says he appointed the 12 Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. By the way, Judas is identified as Iscariot, most likely because his family was from Kirioth, Hebrew word for a region there in Judea, as well as the name of two Judean towns, so just identifying where his family is from. But the point here is that Jesus, uh, that Judas was a legitimate disciple who was chosen by Jesus and who did belong in this group. He associated himself with godly men. He associated himself with Jesus. He was a follower of Christ. He was one of the 12 disciples. He was in the right association. Another thing that Judas had right was that he had the right reputation. Now, I know you may say, what do you mean he had the right reputation? I just thought you said his name is equivocated with the idea of being a betrayer. You may say, I I thought he had an awful reputation. Well, he does now, but apparently he didn't then. Think about it for a moment. He was the treasurer of the group. Out of the 12 apostles on the board of directors of Jesus' ministry, they selected one man to carry the money back. They selected one man to be the treasurer and to handle the finances. And do you think for one minute the other disciples would have ever allowed this to happen if they thought that Judas was stealing from them? They were deceived. They thought he was a trustworthy disciple. In fact, we read a little bit about how he kept the money bag in John 12, verses 3 and following. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment and made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped 
wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, the author tells us that. Apparently, Jesus knew that. But the other disciples would not have known at that moment that Judas was stealing out of the money bag. And so to us, Judas is a scoundrel, but apparently to the other disciples, he was just as much worthy as any disciple would be in order to be called the money man. So Judas must have had some type of respect, some type of reputation as someone who was trustworthy to even be put in that position. So Judas had the right associations. He's one of the twelve. He's got the right reputation. He's trusted to handle the money of the ministry. And then third, Judas had the right participation. He had the right participation. You say participation in what? Well, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. And I want to show you what Judas participated in that was well worth his time. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together. Notice how many did he call? The twelve, all twelve, including Judas. He called them together and he gave them power. And he gave them authority over demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, I didn't see anywhere in that text any indication that only 11 went out. Nowhere in that text do you get the idea somehow Judas must have stayed home. He must have held back. There's no indication that Judas did not preach the gospel or even heal somebody with the power of God. There's no indication that he set this one out. There's no indication that he did anything but continued in the ministry of Christ as one of the twelve that was given the opportunity to preach the gospel and to heal the sick, and somehow Judas was part of it. I don't know for sure that he actually articulated the gospel or healed somebody, but I'm just saying, if you read the text, it's like all 12 were given this, all 12 went out, and we never get the idea that Judas wasn't among them. This man, Judas, had a front row to the teaching of Christ for three years. He had a better education than any seminary student. This man, Judas, had the right association, one of the 12 disciples. He had the right reputation. He's trusted with the money bag. He had the right participation. He's involved in the ministry of Christ. But do you know what Judas did not have? He did not have the right heart. He did not have the right heart. Do you ever think about how part of the Sermon on the Mount might have applied directly to Judas? Look at Matthew 7 as Jesus is preaching and warning. Maybe Some of that message could in some way apply to Judas. Matthew 7, verse 21, when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers 
of lawlessness. wonder if Jesus had Judas in mind as part of the application of that sermon. Listen to me this morning. The devil would rather send you to hell from the pew than from the gutter. The devil delights himself in coming after some of those that are closest to God and the things of God in order to distract them and to deceive them and to pull them down. And many people who are in church who have never been born again, and you can go to hell even if you have a form of godliness. Isaiah 29, 13, because this people drew near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Beware this morning as a warning that Judas is to us all that you can have a form of godliness. It could be that you know the lingo, you know the Christian talk, you know what Christians are supposed to be doing externally, but in your heart, you're in a completely different place. And this is why the Bible says that we need to examine ourselves to see if we're really in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Why did Jesus choose Judas? I think it's a warning for quote-unquote Christians to see where they really stand in their walk with Christ. It's a warning, but it's also an encouragement. And you may ask, well, how in the world could this be an encouragement? Well, the encouraging thing is the 11 other disciples stood firm. There may have been one hypocrite, Judas, but don't let Judas send you to hell. The other 11 disciples held firm. They preached the gospel. They gave their lives for the furtherance of the kingdom of God on earth. That's actually encouraging. Not everybody falls. We hear all the time as you're trying to evangelize, well, there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. When people tell me that, I always say, do tell. You couldn't be more correct. I agree with you. There are a lot of hypocrites in the church. But that doesn't mean that the teaching of the gospel is not true. That doesn't mean there are not many who stand strong with Christ. That does not mean that the message of the gospel is still not true for your life. And so even though Judas fell, the other 11 stood firm. You know, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, bought a dozen eggs, and one of them was the devil. <laughs> but I was thankful for the other 11. They stood firm and made a fine omelet. So just because there's one bad egg or one rotten apple, yes, we should remove it from the bunch, but it doesn't mean that there's not a lot of good things going on in the other 11 lives. And so that can actually be encouraging to us when you see one who falls... There may be another 10 or another 100 or another 1,000 who stand firm. Why is it that everyone stops and stares at the sky when they see a shooting star? It's because the other stars stand firm in the sky. All the stars are not falling out of the heavens. Just one, every now and again, will shoot down. Just one disciple of Christ from time to time will shoot down, will fly, fizz out, fly, you know, burn out and, and fall, showing that they were never his to begin with. But it doesn't mean the other stars are all falling. We can be encouraged by the other stars in the sky. Peter wasn't a hypocrite. James wasn't a hypocrite. 
Andrew wasn't a hypocrite. John wasn't. So let's don't forget that while Jesus chose the 12, Jesus chose the 12 and Judas, one of them was a double. The other men were godly followers, apostles, missionaries, pastors, elders of the church of Jesus Christ. A second lesson I want to teach you this morning about why Jesus chose Judas would be this. Number two, an understanding of divine sovereignty and the prophetic nature of Scripture. A couple of our thoughts here. Your next blank says, Jesus experienced everything we experience, even betrayal. Just a tinge of why Jesus chose Judas is so that Jesus could say, you know what, I know what it's like to be betrayed. That Jesus has had all the same experiences that we have. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way is tempted just as we are and yet is without sin. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our difficulties. He can sympathize with our trials. Because Jesus chose Judas, he can say with incredible honesty, I know what it feels like to be stabbed in the back. Jesus can say with raw authenticity, I have experienced utter betrayal. Jesus can say with intimate knowledge, I have been abandoned by the one I called my friend. That's ever happened to you in your life? Maybe your spouse left you. Maybe your child abandoned the faith. Maybe you had a neighbor who sued you. And you feel like you've been betrayed by somebody. The Lord Jesus could look at you on this very day and say, you know what, I know exactly what that feels like. Maybe another reason Jesus chose Judas is that Jesus taught us how he responded. Your next blank. Jesus responded most graciously to his betrayer. It's not easy to respond to people who irritate you. Much less to those who want to persecute you and want you dead. And how do you respond to those who want to betray you? And yet we see time and time again Jesus' kindness to Judas throughout their life and ministry. In fact, look at John 13, 21. John 13, 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom it was he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now think about that. Jesus could have called him a scoundrel, could have called him a betrayer. He could have called him out. He could have confronted him. Instead, he treats him with kindness. He does dip the bread in and hands it to him. Verse 27, then after he had taken the morsels, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, whatever you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus knew what was happening, for he had ordained the cross. He knew it was necessary for him to give his life as a ransom for those who would repent and believe. And Jesus, even in Matthew 26, 50, in the garden that night, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came for. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. What I'm saying is a couple of what I would call lesser reasons that Jesus 
chose Judas is so that he could truly experience everything that we've experienced, that he could respond most graciously to his betrayer and teach us how to treat our enemies with love and kindness and dignity. But the real reason that Jesus chose Judas, even though he was a devil, is something different. And it's more than just serving as a warning or to demonstrate how nice Jesus was to his enemies. The real reason that Jesus chose Judas was because Jesus believed, Jesus believed that Scripture could never be broken. That's the real reason. The real reason that Jesus chose Judas a devil is because he wanted to uphold the reliability of Scripture. Jesus believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. Jesus believed in the infallibility of Scripture. He believed that there was no errors in the Bible, that everything that the Bible says will come true. It will never fail. Jesus believes in God's Word, and he takes God's Word seriously. And Jesus tells us in John 13, if you'll turn there, this is the very reason why he chose Judas. John 13, verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now listen at verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. There's the reason. That's why Jesus chose Judas. It's so that the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his hill against me. Here, Jesus is quoting Psalm 41 verse 9. And he's saying, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is a fulfillment of scripture, that one of the 12 would betray me, the one who I gave him this piece of bread, fulfilling Psalm 41, 9. And so that way, when it all happens and you think back on it, you can say, ah, I know this is the Messiah because all of those prophecies came true. This prophecy came true. Jesus and his words came true because the scripture will never be broken. Jesus is teaching us here about the importance of the fulfillment of scripture. He's showing us that the word of God will not be broken. In other words, if the scripture is not fulfilled, then the scripture is not true. And if God's word is not true, then he's a liar. And Jesus is a fake. And yet the scripture comes true exactly like it says it will in Numbers twenty three nineteen, God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will it not fulfill it? He will fulfill it. In other words, God's not a liar. Everything he says in the Bible will come true. Jesus knew that. Jesus is the giver of the word. He is the word who became flesh. He's never going to allow one jot or one tittle of scripture, one prophecy not to be fulfilled. So it had been prophesied that this is what would happen. And so Jesus chose Judas to fulfill scripture. In fact, turn with me to John 17. You'll see it again in Jesus's high priestly prayer. John 17, verse 12, Jesus is speaking to God, and he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. There it is again. Jesus is saying, like, I chose them. I did what you called me to do. I have not lost one of them except the son of perdition, or the son of destruction, why? So that the scripture might be 
fulfilled. This is another clear reference to Judas, who was the son of destruction or the son of perdition. And why did Jesus, Jesus choose Judas? Was it by accident? Was it by oversight? No, it was so that the scripture might be fulfilled. So in fact, turn to one more cross-reference. You'll see it again in Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26, verse 20 and following. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. See that phrase? As it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if that man had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. We see again, it is written that this would happen. This is why this is happening. Jesus chose Judas for no other reason that Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is teaching us that long ago the Scriptures taught this. This is divine sovereignty throughout the ages. And when you see it, you can know that Jesus is the Messiah. Even the ungodly Judas taught the sovereignty of Scripture. And this means that we can and we should believe in all of Scripture. This means that God is in control even when it seems like things are going bad. This means that we can believe. In Genesis 50, 20, when Joseph is talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery, he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And what Judas means for evil and selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, God meant for good. Judas meant it for evil, God meant for it to happen. Because we read in Acts 2.23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it would not be possible for him to be held by it. The cross was God's plan all along. But so was the resurrection. And you can't have a resurrection if there's no crucifixion. And you couldn't have a crucifixion if there wasn't a betrayal. And so all along, according to the sovereign plan of God and His perfect providence, this was bound to happen. And so we've seen the hypocrisy of Judas, and we've seen the sovereignty of God. But you may be thinking that maybe Judas wasn't at fault for what he did. And so that leads us to our third point, our third lesson this morning would be this, a reminder of the personal responsibility of sin and its deadly consequences. Lest you think Judas wasn't responsible, let's ask the question and try to answer it. Who was responsible for Judas's evil decisions? Your next blank. Who was responsible for Judas's evil decisions? Let me just go ahead and answer the question. Judas is. Judas is responsible for his own decisions. Turn to John chapter 12, we'll see some of the decisions that Judas made. We've already read a little bit about Judas Iscariot. John 12, 4, one of his disciples who was about to betray him said, was not this ointment sold, if it was sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas made the decision to help himself to the money bag and become a thief. 
No one made him do that. Jesus, Judas wanted to take the money. He wanted to, uh, to steal from the money bag. That's what he did. Nobody made him do that. He made that choice on his own. Or look at another example, Matthew 26, Matthew 26, 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest, and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Listen, nobody urged Judas to do that. Judas went to the chief priest on his own. No one coerced him. Nobody forced him. Nobody twisted his hand behind his back. There was no one else working for him. On his own, he made this decision to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Or one other reference, Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas led the, the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane. He led them there on his own. No one twisted his arm. Nobody forced him to do anything. Judas made the decision to do what he did. And in each one of these opportunities, Judas could have not gone through with it. But he did go through it each and every time. And what was the outcome? Well, Jesus did die on the cross for our sins, but Judas also died in his own sin. Listen to the tragedy of what happened to Judas. Look at Matthew 27 to read the ending of what happened to Judas. You may already know this, but just to remind you of the tragedy of Judas's ending, Matthew 27, verse 3, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Sin is not pretty. Jesus's, uh, excuse me, Judas's sin deceived him. Judas's sin destroyed him. And the devil is guilty of false advertising. That's what the devil's been like from the beginning when he approached Adam and Eve in the garden and said, if you just eat of this fruit, you'll know everything God knows. Not true. When the devil tempted Judas and said, if you'll just sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, you'll be more happy. It's not true. It's a lie. Judas is now in anguish. He's in remorse of soul. And although he was not truly repentant, he was regretting what he had done. The devil who enticed him is now the same devil who is condemning him. As one southern preacher used to say, you can eat the devil's corn if you want to, but he will choke you on the cob. The corn tastes sweet at the moment for Judas, but became like gravel in his mouth. Judas is not under godly sorrow, but he's under worldly sorrow. And there's a world of difference between the two. And somewhere, Judas must have found a scraggly rope and then maybe climbing up on a cliff, he found a limb that was protruding out. And so Judas made a hangman's noose. 
And he put that noose around his neck and he tied the other end of the rope around that branch, around that tree limb, and he stepped off the cliff to a strangling death, trying to escape the rage within. He then steps into the full wrath of God waiting for him. And the rope tightens as he takes his last breath. His face turned red. His lungs screamed for air. His heart pounds within his chest and then stops as Judas dies an awful death. Guilty and vile, this son of perdition dangles at the end of this rope, swaying in the wind. His life on earth is over, but his eternity in the hottest place of hell has just begun. It is possible that he hung there from the end of that rope for several hours. Jews would have taken someone off the cross or off the tree before nightfall, but he may have been in some place that wasn't being popularized by people. Nobody knows for sure. He could have even hung for a day or two or three. And as his body was hanging there, his stomach begins to bloat. Toxic gases build up. The birds come and pluck his eyeballs out of his sockets. His tongue is swollen and covered with flies. The stench is unbearable as the vultures began to gather around. And finally, somebody notices Judas's body hanging from that rope up on the hillside, and they must have climbed up there and taken a step back, maybe with a knife or a sword, and whacked that rope. And Judas's corpse then falls to the depths below, and as it strikes the rocky ground, his body burst open like an overripe melon, and his intestines gush out on the ground, and his gallbladder and his liver are exposed to the open air, and what a rancid smell fills the air. You say, Pastor, good night. (laughs) Do you have to describe all of that? It's not very pretty. Well, listen to me. Sin's not pretty. Sin deceives you. And it takes you further than you want to go. And it keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. And this picture of Judas dying in this way reminds us that sin ruins your life. Sin steals your joy. It devastates you. It damns you to hell. You could look at Judas and say, where are your friends now, Judas? Where's your silver now, Judas? Where's your soul now, Judas? The Bible tells us this in Acts 1.18. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. Scripture says he hung himself. Scripture says his bowels gushed out. Somehow those things both happened. I'm not just making this up. I believe he hung himself. And then I believe he fell from that tree and he fell on the ground and his guts came out. And this is what happens to Judas because of the consequences of his own sin. One final question. Who is responsible for your evil decisions? Who's responsible for your evil decisions? The answer, you are. You can't blame it on God. You can't blame it on your spouse. You can't blame it on your sibling. 
You can't blame it on your boss. You can't blame it on your neighbor. You can't blame it on those who've tempted you or mocked you or abused you or persecuted you. You have no one to blame but yourself. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No one is responsible for your own sin but you. And if you're making evil decisions over and over again, it's because you have an evil heart. And I'm calling you today out of your sin and out of your shame and out of your despair. And I'm calling you to Jesus who said that if you'll come to me, I will by no means cast you out. That if you'll come and eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, if you come believing in the atoning work of Christ and his death and his resurrection, you can be saved. This doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Every story ends with different difficulties and tragedies. Even if you think about this story of Judas, how it ended, we still have Peter. You might be asking, well, what about Peter? Didn't he also deny the Lord Jesus? Well, one betrayed and one denied, and one felt remorse, and one felt truly repentant and was repentant. One was a devil from the beginning, and one was chosen to be a lead apostle. One denied the gospel with his life, and one lived the gospel with his life. One showed us the way to hell, and one showed us the way to heaven. One worshipped himself, and one worshipped the true and the living God. As Peter calls out to Jesus, says, the Holy One of God. You may say, well, I'm no Judas. That may be true but you may end up in the same place. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said there are two types of people on the earth. Those who follow that are like Jesus saying, not my will, but thine be done. Or the opposite, those who are like Satan who say, not thy will, but mine be done. Now, I wonder what kind of person are you this morning? Are you saying this morning, not my will, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Or are you saying the opposite, not your will, but mine be done? Are you going to take an offense at these words of Christ and walk away from him as some of these disciples abandon Christ, as one of his twelve abandon him? Or are you going to answer along with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. When I think about how this sermon teaches hypocrisy of Judas, the sovereignty of God, the tragedy of sin, I think about a hymn that I printed for you there on your note sheet that I want to just read to you, and then we're going to close and sing this hymn as encouragement to our souls today as we consider how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in His excellent word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious, omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy trouble to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply the flame shall not harm thee i only design thy dross to consume 
and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at this message of the life of Judas and to realize that while things still happen according to your sovereignty, there's still a tragedy here for us to consider and the choices that Judas made on his own initiative to betray the Son of God. I pray that we would never be able to get that image out of our minds of the gruesome death of Judas hanging himself and falling into that field where his guts gushed out as a reminder to us of the seriousness of the consequences of sin. I pray that you would also remind us from this text that Jesus believed in the Word of God, that Jesus believed in Scripture, its inspiration and its inerrancy and infallibility, its reliability. Thank you for that example that Jesus was willing to choose Judas, a devil, to fulfill the Word of God. I pray, God, that as we're here today and we just consider if we're a little bit more like Judas or a little bit more like Peter, far from perfect, and yet being perfected day by day by your grace, God, I pray that you would convict lost sinners and that you would restore saints who have wandered off the path of righteousness. And I pray that this day, God, that we would take seriously what it means that we've been warned, but we've also been able to to see the beauty of the sovereignty of God bringing salvation to every repentant heart. So this day, God, do a special work of grace in the hearts of those that you're calling out of darkness into light, that we might be saved and sanctified and satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.